Happy New Year! Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Thomas Jefferson is an American icon, so I was honored to lend my voice to help revive and celebrate his spirit as part of the Backtracker History Show hosted by my podcasting friend from across the pond, Alice Hill. We'll be looking at what happened on the 1st of January over the years, and what better way to start than 45 BC, when the Julian calendar takes effect as the civil calendar of the Roman Empire, establishing January the 1st as the new date of the new year. And then, only a few years later, in 42 BC, the Roman Senate posthumously deifies Julius Caesar. Now, though, we take a massive leap ahead to 1604 and the Mask of Indian and China Knights, performed by courtiers of James VI at Hampton Court. The mask was not published, and so no text survives. But this particular mask marked the return of the royal household to London after an outbreak of plague. The mask was a form of festive courtly entertainment that flourished in the 16th and early 17th century in Europe, though it was developed earlier in Italy. The mask had its origins in a folk tradition where masked players would unexpectedly call on a nobleman in his hall, dancing and bringing gifts on certain nights of the year or celebrating dynastic occasions. mask consisted of a band of costumed and masked persons of the same sex who accompanied by torchbearers arrived at a social gathering to dance and converse with the guests. The mask could simply be a procession of such people introduced by a presenter or it could be an elaborately staged show in which a brief lyrical drama heralded the appearance of maskers who having descended from their pageant to perform figured dances, revelled with the guests until summoned back into their pageant by farewell speeches and song. The theme of the drama presented during a mask was usually mythological, allegorical or symbolic and was designed to be complementary to the noble or royal host of the social gathering. Maskers who did not speak or sing were often courtiers, The English Queen Anne of Denmark frequently danced with her ladies in masks between 1603 and 1611, and Henry VIII and Charles I of England performed in the masks in their courts. A letter written by Arabella Stewart appears to identify the mask of knights and another mask as the invention of a group of male courtiers rather than the Queen's personal production. Writing on the 18th of December, 1603, that she was their confidant. Certain noblemen, whom I may not yet name to you because some of them have made of me their counsel, intend another. Certain gentlemen of a good sort another. In 1724, Polish-German glassblower Daniel Gabriel Fahrenheit proposes a system for making thermometers and the Fahrenheit temperature scale in a paper called Philosophical Transactions to the Royal Society of London, the oldest scientific society in the United Kingdom and one of the oldest in Europe. 
he is elected a fellow on its basis. Our next jaunt through the archives to find out what else happened on the 1st of January over the years takes us to 1772, when the first traveller's checks, which could be used in 90 European cities, were issued by the London Credit Exchange Company. Between the 1850s and the 1990s, traveller's checks became one of the main ways that people took money on holiday to spend in foreign countries without the risks associated with carrying large amounts of cash. The convenience and wider acceptance of such alternatives as credit and debit cards and the wider availability of cash machines has led to a significant decline in the use of traveller's checks since the 1990s. In addition, security concerns of retailers have led to many businesses ceasing to accept them, in turn making them less attractive to travellers. Now we jump ahead to 1775, when English potter Josiah Wedgwood writes that he has developed his famous Wedgwood blue colour in a letter to Thomas Bentley. Although he was born into a family of potters, he wasn't actually a potter himself, as he couldn't work a potter's wheel due to a bad case of smallpox, which left one of his legs badly damaged. After that, his brother refused to make him one of the partners in the family business, so Josiah decided to set up his own pottery in Stoke-on-Trent in 1769. As he couldn't do the actual pot making, he decided to concentrate on the design of his products and tried to find new and exciting types of pottery to entice the consumer, including his creamware, black basalts and jasperware, which would come in new colours, including his company's signature blue, known to the world today as Wedgwood Blue. It's also worth noting that Wedgwood supported the abolition of slavery, and in 1787 his firm designed a famous medallion depicting a bound black slave that was mass-produced and donated to the society for effecting the abolition of the slave trade. Wedgwood was also famous for his sales and marketing, using such familiar modern-day techniques as money-back guarantees, illustrated catalogues, buy one, get one free, and celebrity endorsements selling to Queen Charlotte and Catherine the Great. He was elected to the Royal Society in 1783 and died in 1795. He is also the grandfather of naturalist Charles Darwin. And so now we find ourselves in 1788, when the first edition of the Times of London, previously the Daily Universal Register, is published the Times used contributions from significant figures in the fields of politics, science, literature and the arts to build its reputation. For much of its early life, the profits of the Times were very large and the competition minimal, so it could pay far better than its rivals for information or writers. Kim Philby was a correspondent for the newspaper in Spain during the Spanish Civil War of the late 1930s, Philby was admired for his courage in obtaining high-quality reporting from the front lines of the bloody conflict. The Times has been heavily used by scholars and researchers because of its widespread availability in libraries and its detailed index. And now we continue with our journey through time to find out what happened on the 1st of January over the years. 
and we have reached 1808 when the United States bans the importation of slaves. This legislation was promoted by President Thomas Jefferson, who called for its enactment in his 1806 State of the Union address. He and others had promoted the idea since the 1770s. It was a reflection of the general trend towards abolishing the international slave trade, which Virginia, followed by all the other states, had prohibited or restricted since then. South Carolina, however, had reopened its trade. Congress first regulated against the trade in the Slave Trade Act of 1794. The 1794 Act ended the legality of American ships participating in the trade. The 1807 law did not change that. It made all importation from abroad, even on foreign ships, a federal crime. On December 2, 1806, in his annual message to Congress, widely reprinted in most newspapers, President Thomas Jefferson denounced the violations of human rights. He said, I congratulate you, fellow citizens, on the approach of the period at which you may interpose your authority constitutionally to withdraw the citizens of the United States from all further participation in those violations of human rights which have been so long continued on the unoffending inhabitants of Africa and which the morality the reputation, and the best interests of our country have long been eager to proscribe. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.